Good to go. Yep. Strong Jewish tradition in that regard. Okay. We're talking about loving Hashem and doing mitzvahs. Why are we talking about loving Hashem and doing mitzvahs? Because by divine providence, that's where we're holding in the Tanya, right? Had we started learning Tanya many years earlier, we'd be holding somewhere else, but we're not. Okay. So, why are positive mitzvahs rooted in love and negative mitzvahs not rooted in love? That's what we want to talk about today. We'll start with that. Okay. Because it is the case that if I love someone, I do not want to do things that damage the relationship, right? That, that, that goes without saying? Right, we're good with that? Right. So if I'm looking at simple cause and effect, my love of Hashem, will that get me to abstain from eating non-kosher food? Yeah, so what? Right. So why don't we say the negative mitzvahs are rooted in the love the way the positive mitzvahs are rooted in the love? That's the question. Okay. Hashem has a level of love, though, that, like, is much beyond. What do you mean much beyond? Because, I, I mean, maybe I just don't love people properly, but, like, I'll do things that I know they wouldn't necessarily appreciate or know, like, because it's the right thing for me to be doing at that time or whatever. That's very vague, so I feel uncomfortable commenting. Okay. I want more specifics before I um, agree or disagree. Okay, my sister doesn't like when I turn off the light. Well, back a long time ago, when we would share a room, she would get very upset if I turned off the light before uh, 11 o'clock. But like, I'd be going to sleep at 10.30, and like, that was it. Mm-hmm. And that's a normal thing for a 10-year-old kid to be doing. Okay. So, but would you say that at the, okay, but now we go back to the love, right? Would you say that you were feeling this desire to be connected to your sister at the time when you, right, so, So you're saying at that time, right, in other words, if we're talking about love as a feeling rather than that underlying sense of value and caring that like siblings have, right, because we're not using love in that sense, we're using love as the emotional experience of love, right, so you weren't, I mean, the truth of the matter is, and this is actually an important point, is that we don't actually love our siblings in the sense that we're talking here of love, as a general rule. Because, yeah, as a general rule. Like, think about it. Like, it it usually is very circumstantial. You haven't seen your sibling in a long time or something, or something happened to them. But, like, day to day, you're not like, I really want to just be closer to my sibling. It's just not usually. The bond between siblings has a different kind of sense of it, right? Whereas people... Um, that I feel like I really want to be close to them. I really want them involved in my life. And I, now, it could be, and it does happen sometimes, that you have a sibling who you also feel that love to. Right? But it's just not a foregone conclusion. That the, the, in the sense of loving siblings, more like that, we said that third category. It's like the, the, um, like the mother, the child kind of thing. Where there's the, like, it's my sister. So obviously, like, I care what happens to her. Obviously, like, I want things to be good for her, and obviously, I'm going to help her out. And, so, that. so, yeah, but there, it would, like if there is somebody that you actually feel a desire to really be closer to them and then be closer to you and to really, you know, be involved in each other's lives, whether it's a friend, or you feel a way about a spouse, whatever it is, while you are feeling that, you are certainly not going to do things that create distance between you, knowingly, right? Well, it depends on what the thing is. To the degree that it's just the love and your, like, convenience of the thing. I 
right? I'm not saying I really love my wife, and then like let's say my wife isn't. I really love my 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 um, my three year old, and I want to play with him, and I, and and um, but it's just. Whatever, it's just, the, when, when, you, when you're feeling a desire to be closer to someone, like really, that does cause you to be careful not to do things that are clearly and knowingly obviously going to jeopardize that closeness. There's a whole other category of things, which are things that you don't know are going to jeopardize that closeness. That's, but that's not what I'm talking about. That's what I'm saying. Like, it depends on like, the level of what it is. But right. you're saying that I know it's going to specifically... Right, right, right. Right. So, right. like, in right. terms of, like, I'm thinking about, like, okay, so I... Like back when I was rooming with like my best friend, she didn't like certain foods, so I would like specifically not cook those. But if like if I knew like okay whatever it's not gonna be a big deal, then I would because I knew she wouldn't be happy. Like right, not, like, destroy our relationship. Right, so that, that that's exactly what I'm saying is that so now we talk about negative mitzvahs. Like it really does mess it up when you like eat pork. Like Hashem really gets ticked off with that. There's the whole like flaring nostrils, fire and brimstone, burning and beheading him thing. That's for your litish background. With every mitzvah. <laughs> yeah. Or with more mitzvahs more than others. I know that sounds weird, but like, come on. <laughs> There's so many mitzvahs that are more like. Like what? I don't know. Please don't tell me that it's not like that. What? Like, there's mitzvahs that Hashem gets more annoyed with and less annoyed with? Yeah, like oh. serious or a base. No. Yeah, isn't that all that's on the same level? I remember that name that it's like the rope and like then that you figure and you do the mold. That's, that's, that's something else. Okay, okay. How much time do you say listen to her in comparison to keeping Shabbos or like not eating kosher or like... Okay, let me, let me give you an analogy, okay? If you slam down the phone on somebody, at that moment, at that moment you slam down the phone, right? You are clearly not talking to them, right? Yeah. Okay, now... Now there's a separate question. If you slam down the phone really hard and you decide you want to talk to them again, you're going to have a problem, which is the phone is broken because you slammed it down very hard, right? Yeah. Okay, so there's the things like this. When it comes to doing Averas, all Averas are equally bad in terms of the actual Avera. The question is, how hard is it to fix after the fact when you decide you don't want to, or you want to come back? Right. That's, but at the moment of like, like, the doing the Avera at that moment, there really is no difference between one Avera and the other Avera. Doesn't, doesn't make it better. I didn't say it makes it better, I'm just, these are the facts. No, it's just fixing up, is it? Why? Yeah. So much easier to fix up a lotion higher than it is to live eating. Yeah. Um, no, I think actually eating, fixing up eating pork is going to be easier than fixing lotion higher. Yeah, because it involves someone else. Because it involves someone else. Generally, when you do things that involve other people, it's hard to fix. But isn't it like, um, like, that if if, it cha- if getting out of the Avera is different than obviously the doing Avera. No, because there's two elements to the Avera. There's the objective impurity and evil and whatever, and then there's the fact that you like went against Hashem. You went against Hashem, and in that it doesn't matter so what you did. Going against Hashem is the same, but the actual thing is right. different, which right. is why undoing it is going to be different. Right. So if you go against Hashem, like, what is it like? Like, I mean, think about this, like, in a real, like, if you're friends with someone, you married someone, right? And they ask you to do something. It doesn't matter what it is, okay? And you, and you say, no, like, because, like, I don't, I don't care. I don't, the fact that you want to do it just doesn't matter to me. Like, that little point 
Like at that moment, there's no relationship, there's no connection. You're just like throwing them in the garbage. Now, some things, some things are easier to fix afterwards, some things are harder to fix afterwards. But, and this is my point, at the moment where a person feels love towards someone else, they are not going to tell the person, oh, the thing that you asked the favor for, the thing that you want, the thing that really annoys you, I'm gonna do it anyway because I don't care. That's just not, that doesn't happen. That's it. You were saying that the, like not carrying the gila on Purim is the same level as not keeping Shabbos in terms of the Nevera? Yeah. It depends how you look at it. Like it is. Like not it's not me. Sure. That's what it says in the holy books. Oh. Yeah. Or like not like at the moment. At the moment. At the moment. You call up. You call up. The, you call up the person and say. You call up the person and say. You call up the person and say. Yes. Yeah. The message answer is an aspect, but it's equally yeah. detrimental. Oh. Yeah, you call them and say, like, you know, you should come and hear them again. Like, I can't be bothered. The initial decision to do it. Yeah. The rejection of why you're rejecting Hashem. What does it matter what it's about? You're rejecting. You're saying, like, what Hashem wants for me just doesn't matter. That's right, because this is an important point that you've touched on. Not every relationship is analogous relationship with Hashem. Right. Because Hashem happens to be God. If you meant Okay. So so if, if if Hashem is God, that means that there's a kind of absoluteness to the whole thing. Okay, now, so in order, fine, I agree with you, that's scary, that's, yeah, it is scary. Now, there are relationships that have that same quality to them subjectively. So, for instance, okay, you can destroy your marriage by rolling your eyes. Now, how bad is it to roll your eyes? Like, what did you actually do when you rolled your eyes? Like, you didn't do anything other than you gave a very clear message that whatever your spouse is saying is not important. And you do that, what does that mean? What kind of marriage do you have? Right. Hey, now, obviously that's not the same thing as like, God forbid, like, like spousal abuse, right? Those are not equivalent things in terms of the damage done. But on the very quick question of, is this like a marriage of people like living together in harmony and like being like a married couple should? Well, the answer is no and no. One might be easier to fix, one's harder to fix. But they're both no. And so there are relationships which are, which are just intrinsically more superficial, okay? Acquaintances, people you're friendly with in shul, whatever it is, like, you know, like, okay, you don't like it and I like you and you're fine, but you're not that important. Like, and, like I have my life and you have your life and any relationship like that is not analogous to Hashem. But really close friends, spouses, anybody you really feel like this person, it is really important to me for them to be in my life and me to be a part of their life, right? And that is really, I feel that importance. The degree to which you feel that makes it more analogous like Hashem. And then, yeah, if that thing is something that for that person really bothers them, then, you know, when you when when you when when you when you're saying I don't care what you're saying is that you, that relationship really doesn't carry that weight with me anymore. That's what it means. There is a gravity to, to relationships. It's not all like fun and games. Okay. Now, there's a separate issue, which is you're not always aware, okay, of how bad something is, right? That I'm not talking about. I'm talking about it, in as much as you're aware that this is. This is rejecting the person you love. If you love them, you're not going to do it, right? That's not true because, like, most of the, like half the things that I do that I know, like, I should. Feel, feel 
feeling love. Remember the feeling when you're feeling love. No, that's not what I'm saying. That like I know that I'm not supposed to do things that I do all the time. That's like, true. Like, in my relationship with God, so, like I know. Yeah, I'm but I'm talking about aware. feeling when you feel love. But you said you know. That's no, no. You know, excuse me. You know it's you know it violates the relationship, and you're feeling love. You have those two things together. If I know that I'm not supposed to speak Lashon Hara, but I don't feel love for Hashem, I might still speak Lashon Hara. If I feel love for Hashem, but I don't know that I'm not supposed to shake a little, uh, I'm not supposed to wear shotness, I'm still going to wear shotness. But if, if I'm feeling love for Hashem, and I know this is, reject, this is something that's rejecting Hashem, those two things together, you, you won't do it. That's how human psychology works. You're saying anyone who loves Hashem would not speak Lashon Hara? Who's assuming they, assu- if you're actively feeling love for Hashem, and you are aware that this is Lashon Hara, and Lashon Hara is something that Hashem despises, then yes, F- you would not do it at that moment. It's not possible for psychologically to do usually it. Usually at those moments, I'm just not feeling love for Hashem. Usually. But then you'd be feeling it at other moments, though. Right. Okay. Maybe. Try. Help me get the okay. Okay. So the question is, since... In terms of cause and effect, love brings to both positive and negative mitzvah observance. Why do we say that only the positive mitzvahs originate and are sourced in the love, and not the then negative what mitzvahs? When you're not what? Then what happens when you're not loving? That's why we have hell. It's to keep you in line when you're not feeling the love. No, that's not. I was, I was, I was only being slightly serious. Okay. So again, what's a positive mitzvah? Positive mitzvah is actually creating something positive, right? It's constructing something, okay? What does it mean that I love Hashem? It means that I want to be what? Close. Closer to Hashem. Okay, what positive thing is created when I do a mitzvah? Closeness. Very good. So my desire for closeness leads me to? Closeness. Closeness, right? But when I do an Avera, when I don't, when I don't do an Avera, right? When I don't, when I, when I don't violate one of the 365 negative mitzvahs, am I creating any closeness? No. No. Right. That, see, so, well, oh, you were saying don't enter the negative mitzvah. Right. Yeah. yeah okay. And the negative mitzvahs are not creating any closeness, right? And so therefore the love doesn't actually feed that. Doesn't, it might cause it, cause it but, the, but you can't say that the love and the negative mitzvah are really the same idea. It's not the same idea. Love means I want to be close to Hashem. The mitzvah, positive mitzvahs are close to Hashem. So love... Be, flows into positive mitzvahs, right? In, in other words, there needs to be some element of logic between p- love and negative mitzvahs, which is, I love Hashem, therefore I shouldn't do things that jeopardize the closeness, this will jeopardize the closeness, therefore I'm not gonna do it, right? So there is a causal chain between the love and the not doing the negative mitzvah, but it's not that the negative mitzvah is like being enlivened, it's, it, it, it's flowing out of the love. Right? Whereas, because the love is a desire for closeness, and the mitzvah is the closeness, right? One flows into the next. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. So, if you are, now this gives us, by the way, a good sense of love. If you are, if you are, if your thought process is, I really love Hashem, and what makes us close is doing mitzvahs, and therefore I should do a mitzvah. If that's what going through your mind mentally, do you really love Hashem? 
Or do you really know that you're missing one of things? Either you're missing love for Hashem or you're missing the fact that mitzvahs really make you close. Because if you felt the love and you knew the mitzvahs make you close, then wouldn't have to do that whole mental thinking. In other words, this is, an, this, is a, this is a very important point that we're talking about developing a relationship. We need to know that we, we need to realize that, that, that some aspects of relationship involve a person being mature and rational and everything else. And some part of the relationship is they just flow. They're natural. They're, as they say in Hebrew, they're zorem. So if I'm feeling love for Hashem and I'm aware that mitzvahs make me close, right, then the love flows to the mitzvah, right? But the love will never flow to not doing the Avera, not to the three inches of a negative mitzvahs. There's always going to be between the love and my being careful not to do an Avera, not to sin, is going to be some kind of rational, mature thinking. Right? Right. Conversely, if I'm having to use the rational, mature thinking to get me to do the mitzvah, either my awareness that mitzvahs are closeness is lacking, or the feeling of love is lacking. Because if I had both of those, the love would flow naturally to the mitzvah. That makes sense? Yeah. Okay. All right. Fine. Now we're going to move on to the idea of cleaving to Hashem, being attached to Hashem in truth. Okay. So, it says here that a person desires to cleave to Hashem in truth. That would imply that it's possible to desire to cleave to Hashem? Not in truth. Okay, so now the question I'm going to ask you is the truth modifying the cleaving or the desiring? The word truth, right? The, this, the right-hand column Right? He who truly loves the name of God and desires to cleave to him in truth. Is the desiring in truth or the cleaving in truth? Like the word truth is modifying one of those words, right? Is it he truly desires to cleave to him? Or he desires to truly cleave to him? Which one is it talking about? I would guess truly desires. Truly desires? Everyone understands the question I'm asking? Okay. Grammar lesson. I left out the two Hashem, right? So, what is in truth doing? In this sentence. It's modifying a word, right? It's saying this thing is happening, is happening not just regularly, it's happening in truth. Is the desiring happening in truth or is the cleaving happening in truth? Cleaving. Right? We're saying the person desires to do what? Cleave in truth? Or do we say that the person desires in truth to cleave? Right? Which one is the going one? It's ambiguous, right? Yeah. Right. Well, you know what? It can be explained 
both ways, which means we can say that truth is talking about the desire. It's a different kind of desire. There's desiring and there's desiring in truth. And then there's also, we're going to talk about it. And then there's also cleaving or being attached. And then there's truly being attached, right? Which one did the altar ever mean? Both. Yeah. There's explanations one way, there's explanations the other way because the Torah contains multitudes. Okay. So what we're going to do first is what does it mean to desire versus desiring in truth? And then we'll talk later about cleaving versus cleaving in truth. Okay. Okay. The more simpler one, by the way, is the cleaving in truth. If you had to, if you had to, what? If you read the set, if you read the paragraph in context, it makes it it's simpler to explain it the cleaving in truth. But they're both explanations exist, so we're going to do. We'll get to that person desiring truth. Okay, so because Rabbi Coffin likes to be annoying, we're going to ask, talk about what is truth, right? What is truth? Ah, so this is our problem: is that the Hebrew word emes and emes does not necessarily convey the same thing that um, the word truth does in English. I don't want to debate the meaning of the word truth in English because I don't really care what the English word truth means. I just care what the word emes means, especially as the word emes is used in Torah and Chassidus more particularly. Yeah. I don't know where we are in the room, but it doesn't say... Emes. It says be-emes, with emes, or in emes. Yeah. In the Hebrew, we would be right in the middle of the page, um, like literally the middle page where it says the chafetz l'dav kabay be'emes okay wait okay so emes as I'm sure many of you know is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet and the middle letter of the Hebrew alphabet right aleph is the first tough is the last mem is in the middle right okay and You'll notice also that the letters, um, unlike some of other letters, if you were to like make them out of like cookies and stand them up, they would stand, right? Because they have flat bottoms, right? As opposed to say the word sheker, which is made of the letter shin, letter kuf, and letter resh. If you make cookies in those out of those letters, what happens? No, because no. the, they print shins with flat bottoms, but shin is actually doesn't have a flat bottom. If you, it's a pointy bottom. That's just the, that's just the style of the printing. But in the Sefer Torah, they have pointy bottoms. Yeah, they would fall over. So there's a sense of consistency and stability, right? You have the first letter, you have the middle letter, the last letter, right? The, all the letters they stay on, right? So the idea of MS has this idea of it's stable, it's constant, it's unchanging. You've heard this idea before? I'm not telling you anything new? Okay. Now, so I'm going to ask you, if something doesn't change, does that mean that it's MS? No. Why not? Yeah. What? Oh, you need to think. I think so. No. Yeah. Okay, I like it when you guys disagree. It makes the class fun. So, I need a representative from the yes camp. Why does the fact that something not change mean that it's MS? Anyone from the I'm yes thinking. camp? <laughs> no one from the yes camp wants to explain themselves? Because um, MS is, is, is uh, never changing. Mm. No, so things can be changed according to the situation, though. 
So I asked you a very misleading question. The reason why I asked you a misleading question, I asked you, is the fact that something doesn't change mean that it's MS. The way I phrased the question. Um, what did you say? The fact that something. Are you saying how we define? Oh, well, oh, so this is the thing. Is, I, I, is, is the way I phrased the question, and as you ask, is the question the right question? The fact that something doesn't change means it's MS. Then an MS doesn't mean not changing. MS means something else, right? Because you're using one thing as an indication of something else, right? If MS just means unchanging, right? Right. If MS, if the definition of MS is that which doesn't change, well then it's obvious that which doesn't change is MS because MS means that which doesn't change. Right? But it's not. But if I ask you if something not changing is an indication that it's MS, that means what makes something MS is something else. It must not be something that doesn't change. And then the question is, does not changing Always a sign of it, not a sign of it. Like, what's the relationship between not changing and being MS? So, is that correct? Does MS does MS have a separate definition from not changing? Yeah. Oh, good. For sure. So now we've got to think of what is the definition of MS such that we have it has some kind of connection to the idea of not changing. Whether that connection is absolute or not absolute, what is MS such that we say, oh, a sign of MS or sometimes MS looks like not changing? Like, what is MS? Okay, absolute. Okay, so, so the, the way that MS is understood is that the more something depends on something outside of itself, the less MS it is. I'm going to say that again. The more, that's for Richard Bothy when I say more, the more something depends on something outside itself, the less MS it is. And the words more and less... So let, me, let me finish the thought. Why should the words more and less bother you? The more something depends on something else, the less MS it is. Why are the words more and less? Because more changing. More. That means that a little bit does. That means can something be more or less MS, right? The MS is not like a black and white thing, right? Well, that's the whole point about the difference between MS and truth. It's not a black and white thing. Right, okay. Yeah. So you just said the more something depends on something outside itself, the more it's MS. The less it's the MS. Less, the less it's MS. Yes. What is more or less? What does that mean? What? What do you mean more or less? What does that mean? So, for instance. I don't understand the sentence. If you're okay. So, for instance, my cup of coffee is sitting on the table, right? Yeah. Let's contrast the cup with the coffee. The coffee is here because the cup is here. Yeah. But the cup is not here because the coffee is here, right? No, but... Right? Yes? Right? No. What do you mean no? Because if you didn't have any coffee, why would the coffee be in front of you? Good, good. Yes, I agree with you, but we're going to be overly simplistic right now. Okay. On just on a pure physical level, the coffee's being in this physical place depends on the cup. Yeah. But the cup doesn't depend on the coffee. Yeah. But they both depend on... The table. Right? And the floor. And the table and the coffee and the cup all depend on the floor, right? So we'd say like this. The floor is more MS than the table. The table would be more MS than the cup, and the cup would be more MS okay. than the coffee. Why? 
because the floor being here is not like that is not that, that doesn't matter about the table but the table being here doesn't depend on the floor right Okay. Now, what you pointed out is true is that there's different ways of understanding it. Not everything has to be physical. For instance, why would the cup be here if there was no coffee? Okay. So if you more think about it in terms of purpose, the cup does depend on the coffee. The only reason people even make cups is for coffee or drinks, right? So in that sense, you can't really say that the cup is more true than the coffee because the cup's existence depends on the fact that people want to drink coffee, right? So the more you can strip away and say, look, this has some side of autonomous independent being of its own, that's Emmas. And the more that its being really depends on things other than itself, whether for purpose, whether technically, doesn't matter, that takes away from its Emmas. Isn't independent here? Oh, so that would mean there's only one thing which is absolute Emmas. What would the only thing be the absolute Emmas? Hashem, right? Right. Right? But then to the degree to which something doesn't really depend on things other than itself, we can say in some limited context there's emis there. But not that you can say more or less. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So now, the question, now if something doesn't change, you have to ask the question, well, why doesn't it change? Okay? So for instance, let's take the, the sky. You go to, the sky is always there, right? But why is the sky always there? Why? Because Hashem wants it there, right? So that's not a sign of the emes of the sky. That may be a sign of the emes of Hashem's will. But the emes of Hashem. Right, Hashem has a will for the sky. Yeah, no, but you could say that like, the, Torah, the Torah is something that we believe to be emes, so therefore throughout generations we still have it. As right. It is. Right. So, but, but it still has changed in the way we apply it and use it and like, what that means for sure. For sure. So, so th th this is exactly the point that I want to get to, is that MS, when you say something is MS, it means it doesn't, it's, not, it's not depending on things outside of itself. If it's not depending on things out of itself, the degree to that true is degree, it won't change, not because something else, because itself won't change. So now you have to ask, like, which parts of the Torah really reflect the MS of the Torah, and which parts of the Torah... Like, for instance... Well, I mean, it's two different things according to what you're, how you're defining it. The Torah itself exists regardless of whether we're here or what age we're here. Okay. But the halakhic implications for us do change according to us, but that's not the actual Torah itself. So, that's how we apply it. So I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll just give you like a more concrete example of this. The Rambam says there are 613 mitzvahs, and the Gemara says it, but the Rambam takes it quite literally. And so one of the problems is that in the Torah there's more than 613 commandments. Right. So one, he makes a bunch of rules of what qualifies the mitzvah. One thing is that a mitzvah has to be eternal. There's no such thing as mitzvahs for a limited time. The 613 mitzvahs are eternal. Well, they never change. Possible because we have things that are time-bound. Like? Like davening. Well, or the chavim. Or okay, like, so, so the rule is like this. Like the when you're going to bring the according to the base of Egypt, so, right? the, so the things like this. The mitzvah is... This is where he gets very technical. The mitzvah is you have to daven every day. Is there ever a point at which that, that mitzvah is no longer in effect? Yeah. The mitzvah is the, no, the mitzvah is the mitzvah is when the first fruits show up you have to bring them to the base of Middash. Okay, well, if you don't have a base of Middash, you technically can't do that, but that's not because the mitzvah is not in effect. That's because you're incapable of doing it. As opposed to, there are mitzvahs which are temporary. For instance, there was a mitzvah that um, you're not supposed to go collect um, more than 
the required amount of man in the, in the desert. In the desert, there was a certain amount of man that you were supposed to collect. You're not supposed to collect any more. Okay? You're not supposed to leave any over. Is that still a mitzvah? Yeah. Like if Hashem were to give us man, are we allowed to take as much as we want? Yeah. 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 I, mean, I mean, we don't get man. I mean, but if we did, would it be permitted to take as much as you want? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. that mitzvah was, God's like, it's a mitzvah for now, it's not a mitzvah for later. There's, in other words, there's, a mitzvah to, there's a mitzvah to kill a malik. How's that eternal? It's always a mitzvah. If there would ever be a malik, you would have to kill them, right? I mean, if there's no malik, so you can't do it. But so the idea is that com- is that we have to look. Ever kill that mitzvah? What? No, because it's a it's a national mitzvah. It's not an individual mitzvah. It's a mitzvah that the king has to do with the people. So did we ever do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, almost. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, so you like like so. For instance, is Shabbos eternal? Yes, Shabbos is eternal. Shabbos is only once a day. Yes, but every seven days you have to keep Shabbos. There's no point at which the seventh day we don't have to keep a Shabbos. So you have to figure out what's the unchanging element. What makes something MS is that it is what it is because of itself, not because it's reacting or dependent on other things. And to the degree that it is MS, that won't change because it's, you know, if the circumstances change, it still is what it is. So now we can speak about things, and this is very postmodern. Your own MS. What does it mean that you have your own personal MS? That's getting really religious. Let's go more basic. No, I think it's like your own, like, moral code. Yeah, like your own, like, what you believe. Yeah. Your own, what's your own MS? What? Well, no. I mean, this is the problem. So you, your own MS would be the things that are true about you, regardless of what else is going on around you. Yeah. For instance, some people they some people they learn a lot of Torah, but that's not their MS. Like they're like my father has a, a friend who um, has a son-in-law that he's very unhappy with <laughs> because he, this son-in-law had a reputation of being very scholarly and very learned, big Talmud Chacham. Oh no! Like when 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 there's kol in session, he learns a lot, but like whenever like there's a break, he doesn't open a book. How do you find this out before? You don't find it out before. He sucks. But, but he doesn't... What does he do on his break? I don't know, whatever he does, but... Whatever he does, I don't know. But the point is, like, he's, like, if you go to see him in, during, during the yeshiva, like, he's always learning, right? But why is he learning? For whatever reasons, right? But it's not like he's a learner, right? Because when he has his own time that nobody else is telling him what to do, he doesn't open a book. So then what does that mean? On the other hand, right, you could have someone who rarely you ever see learning because like so much stuff is going on around, right? But the minute like they have a moment of their own, so that's their MS. Okay? Some people don't daven. I don't mean they don't like open up a sitter and say the words. I don't even mean they don't try. But like they have to be in the mood. They have to be inspired. They have to have a good for bringer. Because like otherwise, like uh, that's, that's, they're not a daven. That's not their thing. And there's some people they don't daven because like there's so much stuff going on that they can't get a moment of peace of mind to daven. But as soon as they can, like that's what they do. You mean daven like to be like, like really? Singer? No, I mean really like pouring your heart out to God. Okay, can you change your MS? Yeah. Which means you have to get in touch with something deeper in yourself, right? right? You see, you see how this is going. Like like MS, like MS is. Some more givers who still give tzedakah, so then like every time when they're supposed to be giving tzedakah, that changes how they react to. Okay. Right. Right. This is something Alter Rebbe discusses later on in Tanya, where he starts questioning whether if you have to keep working to maintain something, does that really have any MS to it or not? Well, eventually it becomes a second nature. Maybe, not always. Well, well that's like alcohol. It's like, I don't know, it's like 20 years, even if they're off the table, I don't know. 
So, so, if you, it, so, and, and the, tr the problem with MS is that it's not always easy to tell what's MS because something could be very common and seem unchanging, but it's unchanging for all sorts of circumstantial external reasons, and that doesn't really reflect it, right? Right. Um, you know, like, like if a guy is in a prison camp, he's very regimented, right? But is that because he's a regimented person? No. Right? So, what does it mean? So, 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 when you say that you have a desire in truth, what does that mean? What do, we, what do you mean I desire in truth? There's lots of things that I desire a cup of coffee. Does it mean I desire it in truth? In your essence. That is an independent desire. Yeah. So, would you say that my desire for a cup of coffee is desiring in truth? No, wait, was it desire? I desire a cup of coffee, right? I, clear, I made it of my own volition, so clearly I desire, right? Yeah. Okay, Is that would that be desiring in truth? No, it's desiring. Oh, no, the default always wants coffee. Yeah, let's say with Sharma, you love coffee. Well, well, let's think about it, right? Yeah. Let's assume that I'm a regular, normal human being. Why do I want the coffee? Okay, so if it's if it's because I want I need to be awake, then it's clearly not MS, right? Right. Okay, so that's like it, it could be a drink the coffee because like I'm you know teach way too many classes and get way too little sleep and so I'm drinking coffee, right? That right. could be. What else could be the case? Um, I really love the taste of coffee. Really love the taste of coffee. No, if you do, then I would say that is MS. No, it's not MS because nobody wants coffee. No, because of the taste. Okay, but like what? What else is going to replace it? Like only coffee. Like oh, so here, so, here, so here we have to do is we have to be a little more sophisticated. We have to divide. We say like this, yeah? It is not the case that, like, even if I really love the taste of coffee, that I'm always going to, like, every time coffee's there, I'm going to start drinking it, right? No, you're saying no. And I mean, like, think about it. Like, we all have certain foods that we really like the taste of. No. Do, no. We, get sick of, do we get sick of them? Yes. No, okay. Never. You never get sick of them? No. no. What do you never get sick of? No. What? So if you were sitting with salt and vinegar chips and you were eating them from the time you woke up to the time you went to bed, day after day, you're telling me you wouldn't think you would ever get sick of them? I don't know if I can Okay. Well, you're, then, you're, then you're the exception. I don't know. I love hot dogs and I don't think I'll ever get sick of them. Yeah, but... but, but you, you get sick of them. No, no, no. no, no. salt and vinegar chips. No, no. Guys, both of them you get sick of, the person you wake up is hot. No, I, I, I don't I, mean. I, I, I mean if you were eating hot dogs, literally, you just kept eating over and over and like, over again. You mean every single meal? Like nothing else. Nothing else, right? You just kept eating hot dogs. Well, in general, you can't eat anything 24 7. But for every meal, I still have a dog. I was dying. I thought I would die because it's not healthy. Thank you, Jamie. No. Okay. The thing is like this. The thing is like this. There's the taste of the food, the taste, the texture, whatever, right? Then there's the fact that that gives you pleasure, right? Yeah. yeah. Now, there's a weird thing about human psychology, which is that experiences that give you pleasure, <laughs> the amount of pleasure you get out of the experience drops when, you have, when you have too much of it, and it becomes hard and harder to get pleasure out of the same experiences, which is why re people who are really into just having the most max amount of pleasure in their life, they carefully regulate themselves. Like and, skydivers. What? Like skydivers. If you do it, if you do, if you jump out of the plane twenty times a day, for a fat yes, at a certain point, yeah, it dies. Right. We adjust. 
This is the thing, we adjust, right? So people like real Epicureans, like why are they always trying a different restaurant and eating smaller portions and everything? Because you get the max amount of pleasure at the beginning and then over time it decreases and you do have this problem, it's called the pleasure paradox, which is the more you pursue pleasure from the same thing, the harder it is to get from it and eventually, yeah. So when I get rid of pleasure, we just indulge in like every pleasure like from no, but this is what I'm gonna get at is all you get rid of, all you get rid of is your ability to get pleasure out of that thing. But your underlying desire for pleasure doesn't go away. So now going back to the coffee, even if I'm drinking the coffee because because it tastes good and I like the taste of coffee, so there's really two things here is I'm desiring the coffee for the pleasure. And that really isn't the truth, because like have enough coffee and that'll go away. Right? Or there's like so many factors that go into what things taste good to what person when for how long. Yeah. But then there's the underlying thing that I really like food that tastes good. Because when food tastes good, it feels pleasurable, right? And that, does that change? No. Not really. Right. So that's the underlying truth. The underlying truth is that I'm a behemoth, I'm an animal, which is that okay. I enjoy eating. Right? Food that tastes good. And that really doesn't change, does it? No. So there is an element of my truth in that. Right? Now it happens to me that coffee tastes good, but you know what, sometimes your taste change, sometimes you have too much and you get sick of something, so that's more circumstantial. Which thing tastes good is circumstantial, but the fact that you like things that make you, that taste good, that give you pleasure, that's more the truth. You get it? Yeah. Okay. Now, I love God, for argument's sake. Is that, right? What is loving God? It means I, want, I desire to be close to him, right? I desire to be attached to him, right? Yeah. Is that desire true? No. I mean, it depends. Why you, it depends what the underlying Essentially, yeah. If it makes you feel good and pleasure, then you're off. Not off, like, not just. Right, if I'm, in other words, in other words, the question is like, am I desiring to be close to Hashem because being close to Hashem makes me feel good? So then it's not, and then my desire to be close to Shem isn't true. My desire to feel good is the truth. But what about like the kids? I guess there was just like you desire him because he desires you or something and then it's like off each other. We see a problem here, right? Yeah, I saw it yesterday. Okay. 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 So here's the thing. When it comes to Hashem, there's two levels of our relating to Hashem, okay? Um, And it's important that that we keep them straight, okay? Um, I'm gonna give you the Hebrew. Why am I gonna give you the Hebrew? Because the English is like, English is one of those things that like, if you just give one word, then you have to explain it, so just learn the Hebrew and it's easier, okay? Okay? It's two or three Hebrew words, okay? You guys all read script, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Tom, Vadas. Those are two words, and some and it, so one relationship is called Tom Vadas, the other kind is called Lamai Lamatam, because Lamai is above Tom Vadas. So Tom Vadas. Tom Vadas literally translate as what? Um, well, Tom also means reason. Reason and knowledge. But there's a relation between the word taste, between the idea of taste and reason. So, people often say, like, there's your rational connection to Hashem, and there's beyond reason. Like, Bob Mice says, nothing to do with reason. Nothing to do with reason. Why do I love coffee? Let's break it down. Why do I love coffee? I actually do. I love the taste of coffee. 
Why? Okay, so it makes me feel good. Okay. So here's the thing. The fact that I love things that make me feel good, that's, that's, like a, that's a, just a truth about me because I have an animal nature to me, right? The fact that I love coffee only as a result of my experience, right? Do you know how I decided that I discovered that I love coffee? You tried it. I tried it, right? My father was drinking coffee. I was like four or five, something like this. I'm like, I want that. And I, he gave me to drink, convinced that I wouldn't like it. And unfortunately, I liked it. Yes. And then my kids, the same thing. <laughs> I like coffee. I did that with Mash. My, I did that with Mashka, with with, with you know with Chaim, with my kids. Like they say, I, Chaim, I, say, I want Chaim. Like, okay, yeah, so try it. Like, well, I have five boys. One is turning one, so he hasn't yet tasted it. And of the other four, one was like, "This is good." <laughs> the other three were like, "Just recently, my four-year-old, like, he's like, oh, he wanted to try." I was like, "You could try it," and so he tastes it. And there's like a delayed reaction before like it registers. And he's like very happy. It's like it tastes good. He's like, <laughs> and then he starts crying. Then it, it sinks in like how bad it is. Okay, but you so there's so there's an element that's What'd based. Wife say? What? What'd your wife say? My wife thinks that I'm an excellent educator. As long as you're honoring her, yourself. Um. The. So. You drink coffee, and so there's an element here where I love coffee because I had the experience of drinking it, right? And there's an element where it's nothing to do with experience at all, just because I'm an animal, and so because an animal likes things that make them feel good, right? Okay, so you see there's actually two elements going on here. There's what's dependent on my experience and what is independent of my experience, right? Okay, let's think of some other things, okay? Do you want to have friends in your life? Yeah. Why? Really? That's why? You're like, I need to be happy. And like, I could, I could learn to juggle, or I could have friends. To keep you company, to have friends. You're not lonely. So you're not lonely. That's the right answer. No, 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 oh, but no, 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 no. So you're not lonely. Here's the thing, here's the thing. Here's the thing, here's the thing. This is, this is very important. You need friends so you're not lonely. But what does lonely mean? But also, even if you feel incomplete without? Other people. Other people. So what you're saying is, okay, no, this is, this is, okay. This is like a very important psychological distinction we have to get clear. Not everything is about feeling good. In fact, most things are not about feeling good. Okay? I need friends because otherwise I'll be lonely. What does lonely mean? Me feeling not good. There's lots of ways not feeling good. Why does lonely have to mean you're not good? You say not good. There's alone and lonely. Those are two different things in English. Alone is not necessarily bad. Lonely is negative. Lonely means you are feeling a void, a lacking that can only be filled by other people's involvement in your life. Okay. So now, okay. So let's use a different example for a moment. Food. Why do you need food? So you cannot function. So you right, right. So you need food because if you didn't have food, your body would be malnourished. But malnourished just means that your body needs. So you're just using fancy words to say I need food. I need food because I need food. Like there's just like one of the features of my existence is that I need food. That's why you're alive. Fine, but what you're saying is I'm the kind of thing that needs food. If I don't have food, it's not gonna work. 
Okay. We can give that a fancy name, right? Lacking of food, hungry, malnourished. But the food is not in order to feel good. The food, like feeling good, not feeling good. In fact, what happens if a person is really, really, really depressed, God forbid, and they have no appetite and they don't desire to eat. And when they eat, it's torturous and they don't want to do it. And da, 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 da. Do they still need to eat? Yes. Yeah, why? Because they need food. Food is actually something you need, right? Objectively speaking, you cannot be a human being without food. Human interaction is the same, though. That's my point. That human interaction is not to make me feel good. No, it's a human need. It's a human need. Totally agree. And therefore, here's the interesting thing. What if human interaction doesn't make you feel good? Do you still need it? Yeah, yeah. Yes. If you are healthy, if you are healthy, right, a person who's healthy, let's go back to food. If you're healthy, lacking food feels painful and getting your food needs met feels good, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're unhealthy and that gets thrown out of whack, does it change the fact that you still need food? No. Okay. People, God created people as social creatures, so people need other people in their lives, like genuinely other people in their lives. Does that always feel good? No. No. If, if you're a reasonably healthy person, does it feel good to have other people in your lives? Yeah. Okay, but not everyone's always healthy. So healthy. Okay. So there are things that you need because that's the kind of thing you are. Tigers do not get lonely. Did you know that? No. No. Tigers are solitary creatures. They're not social animals. So if you take a tiger and it lives all alone, other than like, you know, mating season, it's fine. In fact, tigers and other tigers, they do not like each other. Yeah. Are the other supposed to lions? Lions get lonely. Lions have prides, right? Right. Prides. A group of, group of lions, right? And you know what's really really sad? You know what happens to all the baby boy lions? They get they battle to the death. They get kicked out of the pride. Yes. And then they're very walk around very sad until they either get their own pride or kill someone else and take their pride because lions are social. What? They often get killed because lions aren't very good at living on their own. Especially little ones. Right. Also, like, female lions. Because lions are the kings of the jungle. Do you know why lions are the kings of the jungle, by the way? Because they can sit there. They sit there and don't do anything. <laughs> okay. No, but you see what I'm saying? Like, there's needs. Right? If I'm drinking coffee because it tastes good, there's something like, very disturbing about that. Because it's not about the coffee at all, right? In like a weird sort of way, it's just like I'm just doing it for like the, the sensory pleasure of it and that's it, right? It's kind of like taking drugs or something. I mean, it is a drug. Yeah, but the same thing as if I'm eating, doing anything for the experience. I mean, what I'm saying is that I have no actual substantive need that is met by having the drinking coffee. Unless I'm really tired and I need to stay awake, right? Um, but like, I actually do need food, and I do need friends, and I do need shelter, and I do need all the, there's things that actually you need as a person. Any of these things that we need for survival, and it's a human level? I don't know, I would say, I would, I, I would say, I would say some of them are for survival, and some of them are beyond survival, they're for thriving. Like, it, like, you could survive without them, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you, you, it would, it would detract from your ability to really be a person. Like, say, you could, you could take a person and put them on a desert island, and if they're reasonably capable, right, and that island has enough resources, they can survive there for 30 years. Yeah, but mentally that would affect them incredibly, and so their, right. future, right. their future existence is in question by that. Well, I would say, what I want to say is like this, is that, is that, is that it's so less to do with survival, it's more to do with thriving and flourishing. No, it's well, no, because we're wired to try and survive as long as possible. A part of that is how we 
I don't want to debate with you about because it it's secondary, but I do think it's an important. I do think it's an important distinction. So we'll just agree to disagree about that point. So things that I desire because I've experienced things in my life clearly are not my genuine needs, right? Because before I experienced it, I didn't know that I needed it, and it was like fine, right? For instance, I grew up in America. In America, they have all sorts of interesting foods that you don't get in Israel. Okay, like one of them. Is called, I mean, maybe they're not, not the Heksha that I, but the hech, all the Heksham that I buy, you cannot buy um, kosher dill pickles in Israel. Yeah. I've never seen in the store with the Heksha that I eat kosher dill pickles in Israel, in Israel which you think is funny, right? Because, like, all things, of yeah. all things, kosher dill pickles, right? So, and like, I don't like that because I like kosher dill pickles. See the problem? But do I really need kosher dill pickles? No. Like, had I never had kosher dill pickles in my life, would I have been missing anything? No. no. It's all based on my experience. experience. So I've experienced things, and that has created desires, right? So any desire that's created from my own lived experience can't be my truth, because had I not experienced those things, I wouldn't have those desires. If I never tasted kosher dill pickles, would I ever have the desire to eat them? No. No. That's saying that everyone's truth is the same. On certain fundamental levels. Really? Because no experience is needed, so. Yeah. yeah. Like on some fun, that's what that's what makes us able to understand each other. Is because on a fundamental level, the stuff that you need as a person is the same stuff that I need as a person. So I can like pretty much take myself, adjust for the variance and experience, and have a good sense of what you know, what, where you're at, and what makes you tick, and everything else, right? If fundamentally our truths were really that like that different, that's why it's hard when it comes to animals. Because we tend to project our humanity onto animals, and you know, some animals are more human-like, and some animals are, yeah. It's like you go to the tiger and you see the tiger walking around all by itself. Like, it must be lonely. lonely. Not lonely. It's fine. It doesn't want any other tigers around. But you've got to do a lot of observing the tiger to realize that. Some of it is, and some of it isn't. I have children. I have seven children. And they are very different. And their differences, a lot of their differences are very innate. But you wouldn't say that like some of the differences come with merely the fact that like the oldest child was the first one there and then had to learn to readjust to other children, like or like or the youngest has like a certain like There are things that are like that and then there are things that aren't like that. So for instance, um, one of my children, um, is passionate about learning, like insanely passionate about learning. The one-year-old? No. Oh, that's <laughs> What? But, you know what? Of my seven children, I mean, some of them are really young, so it's hard to tell, right? The one-year-old's kind of hard to tell, right? But he's the only one that's passionate about learning. Go figure. I mean, why is that? Like, it's not like, it's not like, like and, and it's like very interesting. It's like, it's like, like, and another one is like really into using their, his hands, like doing stuff with his hands. And one of them, the one who's really into learning just isn't. But there is some kind of, and it wasn't like, it wasn't like, you know, we're doing different things and, they, they, they're born with different 
tendencies and different talents. There is some kind of basic variations in people. Okay, and like, like you can't like decide that. You can't change that. Like, you can change the environment and change the existence today till tomorrow, right? But, like, I remember the, the one who's really into learning. He's like very intellectual. It's like, like I remember being four, and he would like, like if you like had a, I would like tell him something, and he didn't like what I had to say. So his response would be to analogize it to something else. Where clearly my point of view didn't make any sense, and therefore if it doesn't make sense over here, then clearly over here I should reconsider, right? Like. You don't like, like, that's just like who he is from the beginning. Like, what do you want? And then, like, other kids are like, not like that. You know? I, I, one, of, one of my daughters is like a princess. Like, she really is. And she has that whole princess thing to her. And the other daughter, when she was her age, never had the princess. It still doesn't have the Like, there are, people have different, just. Now, obviously, there's an interaction here, right? Between these more innate things and more shape things, right? So are we saying that well, remember how I said. Remember how I said how MS is variable, more or less MS. MS. Right. So. So if someone's involved in learning is coming based on experience, they feel so. It's not MS. Right. So now, Tom Vidas is basically just means your experience. What you have made sense of of your own experience, how you have been altered through your own interacting with things. So if you think about Hashem and get to know Hashem and really like who Hashem is and repress with Hashem and all of that, and therefore you really want to be closer to Hashem, then what is that? That's Tam Vadas. And is that a desire that you can say is with Emes? No. No, because what you're saying is like, my desire for Hashem isn't that I genuinely have a need for Hashem, it's that like... I have a need, and Hashem somehow fits that need. I have a need to be connected to someone who's wonderful and amazing. Hashem happens to be wonderful and amazing. Right, but we could say that from the very beginning, our Nishama was desiring this connection. Oh. Day, so that it doesn't really... Right. This is, this is what the altar was wants to get at, is, is let's go back to friends, right? If you have a desire for your friend, is that MS or not? Well, on one level, okay, well, on one level, this person's because, like, how much they care about you and how much you got to know them and how much you're friends with them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all of that, right? And that's very based on your own experience. On the other hand, your underlying need for friends is beyond. Right, now, are those, like, two different experiences or is one layered in the other? I have a need for friends. What? It's both, right? You see what I'm saying? It's both. I have an underlying need as a person for friends, period. And then this person in my friendship is because of my experience with this person. Right. But my need for friends is this right. person. So if I have an underlying need for Hashem because I'm a Jew, and then I get to know Hashem, is it Tam Vadas or, or not Tam Vadas? Or both? I have this underlying need for Hashem because I'm a Jew. But Hashem is very remote and removed, and I don't really get. I don't, and then I get to know Hashem. I, I think a lot about Hashem, and I, I, I appreciate Hashem. I notice Hashem in my life, and as a result of that, I start to have the sense of, oh, this is Hashem, and I really want to be close to Him. Is that based on my experience, or is it not based on my experience? It's not. It's not. It's both. It's 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 both because if it was if it because if it wasn't based on my experience, then what do I have to do all of the the thinking and pondering, getting to know Hashem for? Right. So like step one is your. It's just so what? So, so in other words, what the altar is saying is like this: There's some of us, some of us, we love Hashem, not because we actually feel a need for Hashem, 
but it entirely has to do with something else. So let me give you an example, right? As a person, do you f feel the need to be safe? Yeah. Yeah, that's, like a, that's a need people have, safety, right? Can Hashem provide safety? So if you love Hashem because he provides safety, is that desiring him in truth? No, it's desiring safety. Right, because because there's nothing to do, right? It, it happens to be Hashem provides you with safety. So I got to know that Hashem provides the most safety, so that's why I love him. But then there's something else where, no, I got to know Hashem and I awoken in myself my need for him. In other words, I got to know Hashem. Hashem is great. Hashem is wonderful. Hashem is amazing. Right? Yeah. And, and, and that, and in the getting to know Him, I became aware that I actually have a need not just for safety and not just for meaning. I actually have a need for something else, which How is... How do you know if it's that need? Is there a way you know? So I'm going to give you an analogy. Yeah. When you get married, yeah. why are you marrying that person? <laughs> what? When you get married, why are you marrying that person? Because there's, so there's so many reasons, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. If the marriage goes well, right, which Bez Hashem it does, yeah. Um, are there so many reasons why you're staying married? No. What changed? How do you go from so many reasons to to not so many reasons? What's the difference? I think you just Right. In other words, there, there, in other words, something happens where there's where. The, the, the relationship goes being, oh, I want to be connected to this person, I want to live like this person, because this person has X, this person has Y, this person has Z, no, 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 like, like, the X and the Y and Z are very nice, but there's like, there's something like about them and me that, that it's just like this person. Right, this person is somehow deeply part of my life, and the way you can see this, this is always bad when you have to use negative examples to show things, but sometimes it's the best way. God forbid if somebody loses a spouse, not divorce, the death of a spouse. Do they move on? I don't mean do they move on in terms of can they function, get remarried, but I'm saying like, does that relationship over? Does it end? No, why not? Right, because on, like, on some level, like they, I, they, 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 they have something that is, I actually have a need for that person. I have a need to be connected to that person. And like, and, and right, and that, how that happens is an interesting question, right? Whereas with friends, like usually, not always, there's certain friends with them, but with friends, that usually doesn't happen, right? Friends, like, you know, if time goes on and there are people drift apart and they're different, like, okay, like you get different friends. So there's this level of desire where my desire is that I have a need for you. If I have a need for you, that's Lamaila Tamvadas, that's above Tamvadas. Even if like you're living your life in a way where it looks Tamvadas? Right, so now let's think about what is Altabas saying? What kind of love is going to make you feel that, what kind of love is the love that's going to get you to mitzvahs? If I, and there are a lot of people, like, the, like loving God is like a pretty generic human thing, right? So you think about, you know, God provides meaning. God provides morality. God is incredible because he transcends time and space. Or whatever it is, whatever it is that makes God so attractive to you. If that's what you love about God, then... God is secondary and there's something else that's the primary need being met, right? My need for meaning, my need for morality, my need for safety, my need for wonder, whatever it is. And then God is just the means to that, right? Right. Okay. That's not going to necessarily lead you to mitzvahs. Right. We're going to get to that later. Okay. On the other hand, if 
I need God. Now, I didn't always know that I needed God. When I started thinking about God, I discovered that I needed God. And not just because he provides meaning and not just because he provides morality and not just because he's transcendent, but like in that getting to know how wonderful he is, I discovered about myself that I had this other need I didn't know I had before, which is a need for God, right? Um, when you're born, do you feel the need to get married? No. When you're an adult? When you're born or you're born? Born, born. What needs do you feel when you're born? Oh, very basic ones. You feel the need for food and the need for sleep. For sleep, right. For love, maybe? No. For what? You don't feel the need for love. Then how do you get so familiar to your mom? What? How did your mother provide that for you so then it grew? What? So, wait, what? so you, you start out, the only need you feel when you're born is the need for food, the need to use your diaper, and the need to sleep. That's the only needs you feel. I mean, the need to avoid pain if something is painful, but whatever, right? And then when you're in your 20s, you'd, you know, if you're like normal, feel the need to get married, maybe even earlier. Why? And then there's a bunch of stuff in the middle, right? And there's stuff after that, too. What happened? Did you develop new needs? Yeah. yeah. You didn't have those needs before? They just weren't um, active. They weren't manifest, right? Yeah. So can experience awaken needs that you didn't know that you have? Yeah. Sure. Okay. So I can, if I have a godly soul, right? I have a fundamental need for God. But if I don't think about God and I don't know God and God is just like, you know, an abstraction or God is like, you know, why we do Torah mitzvahs and that's it. I once asked a shulcha here many years ago, um, who's God? And she says, well, he's the one who made us do Torah mitzvahs. I'm like, okay, that's very nice, but like, who's God? I'm like, I don't know. That's not very much of a relationship. There's some, there's some arbitrary being out there in the universe who says I have to like light Shabbos candles. Like, okay, whatever. That's a very personal question, right? Right? It does depend on the person. But the point is, the author was saying, if you really got to know Hashem in your mind, which is Tam Vadas, it wouldn't just be that you would love Hashem because of whatever you got to know about Him. Hopefully, within that, you would also awaken the fundamental desire that you have as a Jew for Hashem. Does that mean, though, that my Hashem and someone else's Hashem would look, would look different to us? Not like in terms of what we have to do, but. Because we were saying that everyone's thoughts are completely different, and that's where it differs between the two. Yeah, the, the, the Tam Vadas part of, yeah. The Hashem as you know him is not Hashem as I know him. Right. That's right. By the way, the, the, you have siblings? You all, yeah? You know that who you think your mother and father is is not who your siblings think your mother and father is? Right now, you all, you all have the same underlying need for your parents, right? So it's a child needs their parent, and the parent is all the same person, so it's all the same, right? But... The getting to know them is different. That's crazy. Right? So this is really interesting, right? Who is Hashem to me is not who Hashem is to you. But hopefully in that, I've awoken my intrinsic need for him, not him as a means to something else. And you've awoken your intrinsic need for him, him not as a means to something. So we both love the same one person, or being, right? And we both love him for the same reasons, but we both have two very different senses of who he is. That's what it means to desire Hashem in truth. To desire Hashem in truth means I really want to be close to Him because it's Him who I need. Now, how do I know that? Well, I thought about Him. I got to know Him. And in that, I realized that He's not just a means to morality, security, meaning, whatever. There's something more essential about His role in my life and my need for Him. Are some people like born with like stronger needs for Hashem? Yes. Mm 
Avram would be the classic example. Avram felt that from the day he was born. Avram was born and he felt the need for Hashem. He didn't know who Hashem was, right. which is why he's like, are you Hashem, are you Hashem? No, you, no, that doesn't fit, that doesn't feel right. right. Yeah, but yeah, most babies are born with a need to eat and he was born with a need for God. So he's like, weird. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. Converts. That's right. Right. So your view of like God change as you Yes. Yeah. Yes. And God. as you grow and as you learn and as you experience life. That's right. That's right. And here's the danger. If that ever becomes the main thing, the defining thing, the relationship, then in some sense like you lost like at some point, and I'm just using the example of parents as a moment, right? If you ever get to the point that you're relating to your parents more as your friend than as your parents something very sad has happened. Because it's great to know your parents, and it's great to like really know them, and, and you want them in your life, and you just don't care about them. But on some level, that should all be a way of like drawing out of yourself the fundamental need, this is my mother, this is my father. And if that instead covers over that, then you've suppressed something very, very essential and beautiful with something that's more superficial. And that's also the same danger we have with Hashem. Many times, you know, and you said, I think this happens a lot with Bali Shubas, but not always. Just one second. That, that sometimes a person's like, of course God, God is very important, but when they be honest with themselves, it's not really about God, it's about something else, and I've become convinced that God is the necessary means to that, such as, let's say, I have a student in the men's program, it's about morality. So it's really just about having real, you know, not postmodern nonsense, we have to have like a real moral code, and like the only way that makes sense is with God. So it's like, is it not really about God? It's about. So there has to be like a real question. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, I was just gonna go for a class. I was just gonna ask. Um, but the thing is, like my, we were using like you were saying your your relationship with your parents and how that is. But like my need for my parents is not for them to be disciplined. And so like for me, the term of like my parents in terms of thinking of them as my mother and my father, these people who brought me into this world and raised me and disciplined me as a mother, like gave me my structure. But I don't need them in order to have that now. Right. We still need that. Right. I need my relationship with them. That's but right. my relationship with them is more of, I wouldn't say it's just like, so what's the difference then between friendship and, and a parent at that point? <sighs> you, you, if you were to ask me honestly and we had more time, I would say which I'm going to say anyway to get myself in trouble because we don't really have more time, is that this is the danger of being in your 20s and 30s. Yeah. Is that when you're in your 20s and 30s, this is what happens, is that your relationship with your parents, if it's good, really does become less about them being your parents, and that creates a problem. It, it, the exception to that would be if like something really happens to your parents, God forbid. Right. But as your person starts to age in the sense of I'm mean, going to just throw out words here. Heritage and identity and legacy. And those things start to become more features of their car. They realize, no, no, like my mother is not just like functionally like made breakfast for me and like someone I really like and I'm grateful that she brought me into this. There's something much more essential and profound about her being and my being and like and living up to them and, and what all of that or being or, or feeling resentment that they weren't they weren't who parents are really supposed, whatever it is, right? And that, like, sometimes it's more awakened, you know, as a person moves into the midlife and older. You see what I'm saying? That, 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 
And I'm saying generically, it's not like every person is like that, but that's a... So, just to tie it all back, and we'll end on this. The love of Hashem we're talking about is a love that I create through getting to know Hashem. Right, making sense of Hashem, feeling in my life, right? We spoke about Tamvadas. But the idea is that that Tamvadas is not supposed to create a relationship, but so much as it awakens within myself a more fundamental, essential need for Hashem that we always have, but we're not always aware of. And that's what we would call truly desiring in truth, where my desire for Hashem is for Him because I need Him. Even though the way I got to that was. Right. So Tom does not problem as long as it's because of Mila Tom does? As long as it's a conduit, as, right. a, as, as long as it's an expression of or a means to right. get to ta- higher than Tom Das. The problem with Tom Das is when you become constrained by when that. And that's what he's saying. Like, and this is the thing. The, 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 it actually says in Chassidus that if the only reason you love Hashem is the Tom Das, it's not going to really bring you so much to mitzvahs. So the last time it has to be subconscious, it's something that you can be conscious. For sure it's conscious. Yeah. Um, I never I hate when people say things are subconscious. So like, what's the point of talking about? Okay. So tomorrow we will learn about you know, what it means to truly clean. We learned about what it means to truly desire everyone to be Thank you.